Welcome to the podcast. Thank you so much for joining me. I am Rick Thomas. You are listening to Your Daily Drive. This is the podcast where I put my articles in a podcast audio format so that you can listen on the run. In this podcast, I want to take a look into your soul. The title of the podcast is Self-Pity. I want to talk about self-pity today. Self-pity is a window into the soul. That's the title. And if you want to read it, you can go on our website, rickthomas.net. Look for that title, and you can find this podcast written out for you. You can benefit from it personally. You can also share it with 1,000 of your closest friends. Please take our articles, podcasts, whatever resources we have here that you're benefiting from. Make sure that other people know about what's going on in this ministry. I've received two emails in the last 24 hours. I want to share them with you. They're short. Julia said, I have been benefiting so much from your articles. Thank you for this ministry. And she became a supporting member at at $5 a month. And then this morning, Scott wrote Lucia an email, and he said that, may God continue to bless you, talking to Lucia and Rick and the entire team there. Your ministry has been a blessing and encouragement to me over these last few years, and I believe God is, or God can, and is using it to glorify himself and further his kingdom Scott is also a supporting member. Scott, thank you so much for your kind email. Julia, thank you as well for your kind email, and thank both of you for your support. There's about a dozen folks that are working with this ministry to make it go. It's an omnipresent ministry, and what I mean by that is that God has been so kind and merciful to us that he takes our resources around the world every day. We reach hundreds of thousands of people with our content. It is stunning. It is a marvelous testimony to the grace of God. And because of that, it takes quite a few people to run this ministry. On the front side is ministry. That's what you benefit from. That's what you experience. That's what Julia is writing about. That's what Scott is writing about. He's writing about ministry. But what they're also doing and what they realize is that behind the curtain, the things you don't see, well, it's a business. There are bills to pay. There are people that are knocking on our doors and they're requesting that we pay for the resources that we use so that we can build this ministry. And so Scott and Julia want to jump on board and help, and and they are. Would you do that? Would you help a dozen missionaries go around the world Well, if you will, go to rickthomas.net and learn how to support our ministry, and I would be most grateful. Enough of that. Let's talk about self-pity. Pity is a feeling of sorrow that you express towards someone who has suffered loss. That is normal. Now, self-pity is when the person you are pitying is yourself. It's like you standing and looking in the mirror, and the person that you are looking at you don't like, or you don't like something about that person, which is you. That is called self-pity, and it's unbiblical. The self-pitying person looks at himself and feels sorry for himself because he realizes he has lost something that he wants back. Or it could be, maybe, the self-pitying person has done something that he regrets. Now, 
the mirror that he's looking at is the rear view mirror and he's looking into his past and he sees his mistakes that he's made and he falls into self-pity mode or he just doesn't like the kind of person that he has become. It reminds me in an inverted way of the story in Luke about the Pharisee looking out on the publican, the tax collector in the temple. In this case, here's the inversion. The Pharisee and the publican are the same person. The Pharisee is looking down on himself. The entitled person is looking down on the pitiful person whom he disdains. Now, here's the actual verse in Luke 18, 11. You, you know it well. You've heard it many times, I'm quite sure. It says this. The Pharisee standing by himself prayed thus, God, I thank you that I'm not like other men extortioners, unjust adulterers, or even like this tax collector. Now, that's the actual verse. I've kind of turned it around, and I have the Pharisee looking at himself, and he doesn't like this lowly publican. He doesn't like extortioners, unjust people, adulterers, or even this tax collector, he said. Self-pity is looking down on yourself. You don't like what you did, you don't like who you are, or maybe something has happened to you. But here's the bottom line. Now, this is going to be hard to hear, and so you need to hear it carefully, and you need to understand that it's coming to you compassionately. I I don't have an ax to grind here because the truth is this article, all of my articles are autobiographical. There's some version of me And so when I write, I'm not writing to you in the most technical sense. I'm writing about myself. I'm writing for my benefit. I'm writing so that I can mature, so that I can grow. I just happen to put my devotional blogs on the internet, and, and hundreds of thousands of people read my blogs. But these are my devotionals. This is my journal. And so please understand that when I make this this next statement. Because here's the bottom line. The self-pitying person is looking down on himself and doesn't like what he sees. Here it is. You have an overinflated opinion of yourself. And when you behave poorly, when you don't get what you want, or you don't like the circumstances that you're in, you feel sorry for yourself in an unbiblical way. Let's say that you're both the Pharisee and the publican in the temple. You, as the Pharisee, the arrogant one, standing way up, elevated, you're looking down on you, the publican. And you, the Pharisee, wish you were not that awful person that you're looking down on, the publican. You dislike that version of yourself. If you, the Pharisee, had a more biblical view of yourself, you would accept the fact that you not only make mistakes— But the truth is, you're capable of doing things far worse than anything that you've done up to this point. If you do not understand how awful you are, apart from the grace of God, you'll assume the role of the Pharisee if you don't understand how awful you are. But if you did understand how awful you are, you would assume the role of the publican. And you would plead with God to have mercy on your pitiful self. It is that kind of attitude that the Lord lavishes with empowering grace. That's what he said in 4.6. 
of James. He gives grace to the humble. But we don't like thinking about the awfulness of ourselves because we resist the biblical declaration that we're rotten to the core. Romans 3, 10, 11, and 12, there's none righteous, no, not one. Paul said that we're all worthless. That is hard for us to hear in our self-esteem culture. Culture. Only a person with a high view of himself would get hung up on his fallenness. The individual who understands his depravity, the publican in this sense, can rest in God's forgiveness and experience freedom. Freedom from this low view of ourselves problem does not come from elevating our view of ourselves. That is the self-esteem culture. Their answer is to pump themselves up. Their answer is to think of themselves like the Pharisee. A competitive culture that looks down on other people, that's their answer. They don't understand the true condition of their souls. They, you, me, are miserable failures, and we can paint a pig as many times as we want to or put put perfume on it. But the truth is we are miserable failures. The key is to come to terms with who you are. In this case, the way up is that you must go further down until you accept the role of the publican in the temple. The key for the Pharisee, who doesn't like the individual that he is, the publican, he must descend and embrace the awfulness of of who he really is. It's not wrong to assess yourself from time to time. A sober self-assessment is needful because you want to walk in step with the Spirit, You want to be transformed into Christ's likeness? I do too. And you can't do that unless you understand yourself accurately. But the danger of self-assessment is that it can be inaccurate. We're tempted to think wrongly about ourselves. We can overestimate ourselves. That's arrogance. That's the Pharisee in the temple. Or we can be that Pharisee who looks down on ourselves, and then we land in the ditch of self-pity. Now, the wise man understands his tendency to misjudge himself, and that's why he wants to surround himself with gospel-centered friends who care enough to bring loving and biblical adjustments that he needs to hear. Do you have those people in your life, not those people who critique you, who tell you how awful you are? You don't need that individual, and you don't need to be doing it to yourself, but what you need are friends who can bring biblical observations to you to help you to not be arrogant, but also not to fall in the ditch of of self-pity. The self-pitying man feels robbed of something. His response is self-pity because there's something that he wants, but he cannot have. He looks in the mirror and he doesn't like what he sees, and he wants that person to be something else that is not currently, that he is not currently. He will tell you it's because he's lost something or he's not getting exactly what he wants, and that's why he's not happy. That's why he's not content. That's why he's not at peace. He doesn't have internal shalom of the soul. Now, if you're not careful, you'll believe him. And he, he, rather than repenting, he could even start blaming others. This happens so often. They blame others for what they can't have. 
And the implication of blaming others is that if, if these people who would give me what I want, then, then I would be happy again. Do you hear what he's saying? Idolatry has captured his heart. It sounds like this. Here's a, a statement that you would, I will be satisfied if I can get and fill in the blank. Now, if anything other than God goes in that blank, it's idolatry. The only thing that should go in that blank is the word of God. I will be satisfied if I can get God, if I can have the Lord. Only the Lord can truly satisfy me. If you put anything else in that blank, it is hardcore idolatry. Paul teaches us in Philippians 4 that no matter what circumstance you find yourself, it's imperative that you learn the secret of contentment. Paul says that our conditions do not determine or control the deep and abiding peace that you should have in God. If those conditions, if your circumstances do control or truncate your peace in God, then you have misplaced affections. Here's how the text goes in Philippians chapter 4. Paul said, I know how to be brought low. I know how to abound in any and every circumstance. I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. And then we have this great verse. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. The all things that Paul is talking about in Philippians 4 is the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. Paul says it doesn't matter. The worst of times or the best of times. I know how to be brought low the worst of times. And I can abound the best of times. I'm okay when I'm hungry. I'm okay in times of plenty. I am content when I am in need. I am content in times of abundance. It doesn't matter where I land on the spectrum. I am content because I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Whenever the self-pitying man goes into his self-pitying mode where he can't attain joy and contentment, he is communicating a sense of entitlement. It could sound like this. I deserve something, and I'm not getting it. I am angry, and I will not be satisfied until I get that thing that I want. It is not the trial that is robbing him of his joy. It is his idolatry that has chased his happiness away. He cannot be joy-filled and angry at the same time. Self-pity is a form of anger, and it's important that we understand this. If you want to overcome the sin of self-pity, you'll have to deal with what it means. Biblically, self-pity is anger. The raw truth is that his soul is expressing this. I am mad because I'm not getting what I deserve. That's why I said that he feels entitled. The root of self-pity is the idea that he deserves more than what he is getting. He deserves something different than what he has. This man does not understand the implication of the gospel. The gospel says, you deserve to go to hell. And it's only because of my mercy, God's mercy, that there is a rescue of your soul. The gospel-centered man's mantra is, you are doing better than you deserve. 
Anything better than hell is a perk. And though you are not getting some of the things you would like to have, like Paul, you have learned the secret to contentment. It is found in the gospel. What the self-pitying man or woman needs to do is to get in line with the gospel. If you want to know how your life is authentically lining up with the gospel, assess yourself during troubled times when things are not perfect. Your attitude about your troubles provides an accurate window into your soul, primarily as to how the gospel is governing your soul. That's why I titled the podcast Self-Pity is a window into your soul. The gospel provides you everything that you need in Christ. It may not give you everything that you want, but it offers you everything that you need. Though you may grieve during a season of trouble, the gospel realigns your soul. It fills your voids. It gives gratitude for disappointment. It is only the power of the gospel that brings contentment to your life, regardless of your circumstances, which is why Paul said this. Let me give it to you again, Philippians 4. I know how to be brought low. I know how to abound in any and every circumstance. I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. Here's your call to action. I have three questions for you or three sets of questions. The first set is, do you become angry when you do not get what you want? If you do, what does your anger reveal about you? Second question, do you become sad when you can't have what you want? When you look in the mirror, if you become sad, what is it about the gospel that is not satisfying you? Question number three, when you read Philippians 4, what goes through your mind as it pertains to you? How do you need to change as you listen to this podcast? When the elevated man is looking down on the awful person, and that awful person happens to be you, and you don't like that person, there is something about the gospel that you haven't grasped, because the truth is, we, apart from the grace of God, we are totally depraved. You're actually far worse than you ever thought that you could possibly be. You just not acted it out yet. And because God has rescued you, I do trust that you are a Christian, that he has rescued you. He has given you his gospel. He has regenerated you. You are doing far better than you deserve. Oh, you're not perfect. You still make mistakes. People still do unkind things to you. That's going to happen until you see Jesus whether it's what you do to yourself or what others do to you, but we have the gospel, and greater is he that is in us than he that is in the world. How can we serve you? How can we help? 
Would you write our ministry? Would you jump on our forums, fill out your username and password, and ask your questions? Your Daily Drive is a production of rickthomas.net, a global community that is seeking to live more productive and inspiring lives. If you'd like to learn more about our community, please go to rickthomas.net, rickthomas.net.